This morning, though, what I'd like to do is have us um, ask and answer the question, why preach the Bible? Why preach the Bible? I want to ask and answer the question this morning together because we do this week in and week out. This has been for years and years and years now, week after week after week, preaching the Bible, listening to the Bible. I think it's helpful sometimes, I hope you do also, to stop and say, why? Why do we do this every week? Why do we keep doing this? In fact, I get nervous when we don't ask those kinds of questions, and we just assume that we do it because we did it last week. And so let's pause and stop and say, why do we do this? And then look at some biblical motivations, some biblical reasons. I have nine of them. Uh, And so let's look at these this morning. I trust so we can sort of recommit ourselves, if you will, and, and remember why we're doing the very things we're doing. I suppose in the negative, before we get to the first one, uh, in the negative, it's not because Omaha Bible Church years ago uh, hired the Barna Research Group of marketing and asked them, what do we need to do to gain thousands and thousands of people? What's the best marketing plan? You should preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Um, that's not what they would have said, by the way, and that's not why we're committed to this. On a personal level, I'm not committed to preaching the Bible week in and week out because it was my lifelong childhood dream to be a preacher. Or because Molly, my wife, it was her lifelong dream to be married to a preacher. Or because it was a good career move. No, none of those are the reasons. Um, But what are the biblical reasons why Omaha Bible Church, why we together would want to share in this endeavor to be preaching the word as a church? Reason number one, I think, is the obvious one, and that's because we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe the Bible is the word of God. That's the first reason. If you have 2 Timothy 3.16 memorized, you don't need to turn there. If you don't have it memorized, you can turn there. 2 Timothy 3.16. And if you need another text, it would be Psalm 119, verse 72. Psalm 119, verse 72. And then just in a little while, we'll look at Matthew chapter 4, where we will hear from Jesus himself acknowledging the fact that the Bible is divinely inspired, that it comes from God himself. And then in a moment, we'll think about how profound that reality is. Psalm 119, verse 72, it's in the very middle of your Bible. Unless you have a study Bible, then you'll have to adjust for the notes. But Psalm 119, verse 72, the psalmist writes, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The law of your mouth is the first thing to notice there. And then he talks about its value in verse 72. In Psalm 119, law is used for uh, Scripture. It's It's a synonym that's used among many for Scripture. And here it's law. And he says, the law of your mouth. He's acknowledging divine origin. It comes from God. Oh, yes, there are human authors involved. And God works through people. Yes, but he's tracing it back to the reality he believes in inspiration. The law of your mouth. And notice how excited he is. It's more valuable than the most valuable things. Which helps us to understand that he really does believe that it comes from the mouth of God. And if we stop and think about it, it makes total sense. If we actually have a message from God, not the latest pop culture icon or philosopher, we're going to value it above all other things. And why would we want anything else to be preached? If we actually have a word from 
the sovereign from God himself. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. You don't have to have a PhD in logic to understand. 2 Timothy 3.16 is familiar to many of you where we read these words, all scripture is breathed out by God or inspired or God, literally it's God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. And this is where Christians have come up with what is called the doctrine of inspiration because it's two Greek words put together to make one Greek word, God and breathed out. If you want to sound fancy and be sophisticated, you could write that down. But the reality is great. It comes from the mouth of God. And that's why it's profitable. That's why it does all of these amazing things. And as we'll see later, we'll see that this is why Paul is going to tell Timothy, Timothy, you preach that word. It comes from God. Timothy, don't preach your word. Don't preach uh, cultural consensus. Don't preach the latest and greatest philosophy. Preach the word because the word comes from God. You see? It becomes rather profound. And then we can go ahead and look at Jesus' words. He's just chiming in saying the same thing. In Matthew chapter 4, that classic text regarding his temptation. You can turn to Matthew 4 if you haven't done that already. As some of you are still turning there, uh, maybe to give you a little bit of time. Think about... Think about theory and practice with me for a moment, if you would, when it comes to whether or not Omaha Bible Church is going to preach the Bible another year, not to mention in another week. Our confession, our doctrinal statement, says we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Most churches have some kind of confessional statement that says something like that. Some use some weaseling kind of terminology and use what's called neo-orthodoxy. Um, and it's, they would say it contains the Word of God or it becomes the Word of God when it speaks to you. That's not classic historic Christianity. Uh, classic historic Christianity is going to be, it is the Word of God. It's theopneustos. It's come from the mouth of God. But think about this for a moment. I can say, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. We can say that as a church. But what if we don't preach the Word of God? Are you suspicious? I think you should be. I think you should be. Because if we really actually believe that God has spoken and it's been inscripturated, why would I stand up here and talk about my kids? Why would I stand up here and say, I read a great book the other day and it's got some great principles for living? Why would we do why, why would we be consumed and, and totally infatuated with the latest and greatest trend? Everybody's doing it. We got to do it too. What you would know about me is that I don't really believe the Bible is the Word of God. And what a visitor to Omaha Bible Church would know is, regardless of what our confession says, we don't really believe it because if we did, we would put a microphone in front of it and we would say, let's hear from God. In one sense, we wouldn't be doing what I'm doing this morning, which is I'm not really preaching the word, although we're preaching lots of different passages, but it's just once in a while. <laughs> preaching passages according to their context to remind us why we do this week in and week out. Did that give you enough time to find Matthew chapter 4? I hope so. 
Listen to what it says regarding Jesus here in his temptation. And the tempter in verse 3 came and said to him, that is to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. He's talking to a supernatural, angelic being who has lots of power. And what does he do? He quotes the Bible. As bigger authority. It is written. As if to say the final judgment for you is this. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. So he's quoting the Old Testament. By every, but by every word that comes from. Here it is. He believes in inspiration. From the mouth of God. Quoting Old Testament. Says it comes from the mouth of God. Now, this could be a detailed study in how all this works, and we could go to Second Peter and see how God guided prophets in that. We're not doing that this morning. We're just hitting some high points. But it's enough to say Jesus believed that the Bible was the Word of God. And so we want to preach the Bible because the Bible is the Word of God. And remember, last time I checked, we're a Christian religion. Christian means we follow Christ. Profound, I know. I'm working on my third degree to be this profound. (laughs) Christian is tied to Christ. And so if we're going to say we're Christians, we're going to believe what Christ believed at a very minimum, not to mention even more, we're going to follow Christ. But Christ believed the Bible is the word of God. And so if we're a Christian church and we want to say this is a Christian church, then we're going to believe the Bible is true. And that's going to show up in our preaching the Bible. It's a free country. We don't have to call ourselves Christians. I can start a religion. It'll be called Pattyanity. You want to join? I've got some profound philosophical musings and I'm going to do a lot of God talk mixed in and we can meditate on my God talk and maybe some of yours too and it'll be beautiful. Would you bring a poem next week? Being sarcastic but making the point. I realize it's kind of simple and, and, and yet it's so simple it's profound. Christianity. Christ. Christ believed the Bible is true. Christ through his apostles is going to say, we'll hear it in just a little while, preach the Bible. Omaha Bible Church, let's recommit ourselves if necessary to preaching the Bible, to demanding that the Bible be preached. Number two, a second compelling reason for preaching the Bible would be because it is sufficient because it is sufficient. If you're still in 2 Timothy, and I apologize for not telling you to stay there, but in 2 Timothy, we're going to look at multiple passages. And so if you go back to 2 Timothy 3, and we'll, you want to put a marker in 2 Timothy 3 because we're going to see it with multiple points. The Bible is sufficient. We don't need more. We don't have to supplement it. We don't have to add to it. It's sufficient. 2 Timothy 3.16, that passage we just read, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And here's, you know, here's the drum roll, the punchline, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every, that's a word for sufficiency, every good work. Complete is a sufficiency word, and every is a sufficiency word. And here we have the Bible claiming sufficiency. Yes, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, and that's what the title man of God is. But what is he going to do? He's going to preach the word of God to the people of God, and no doubt it's going to equip them as well. But make no mistake about it, the Bible claims to be sufficient. And that's why he's going to say, preach the Bible. Omaha Bible Church would want to give itself to preaching the Bible as a Christian church because the Bible is what we need 
right? Another text to look at. Well, let's flesh it out a little bit more and see it's sufficient for salvation and sufficient for spiritual growth. Um, Sufficient for salvation. If you just go up in that text to verse 15 where Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's another way of saying scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scripture is sufficient for salvation. They're able to make you wise to learn about who this God is and to learn about who you are in relationship to this God and to learn about his perfect atoning sacrifice through his son Jesus. It's able to make you wise. So why would we want to preach something else when the scripture is what will make people wise to salvation? It's a no-brainer. You don't need to turn there, but just for sake of reference, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, since you have been born again, not by perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And so we don't need to do gimmicks or manipulations or whatever it might be. We herald the scripture and God uses that, right? Just pretend like we're Baptists for a second. You say, amen. Amen. Preach it, brother. Thank you. It's also sufficient for sanctification or spiritual growth. Because you show up here Sunday in and Sunday out, if you're already a Christian and you say, I'm a Christian and I need to grow, I know I need to grow. So, pastor, help me grow. What should I do as a pastor? What should we do as a church? What should any of our pastors do? They should preach the Bible. They should preach the Scriptures. Just one reference. Jesus, in his praying for believers like us, in John 17, 17, and Jesus is there praying to his Father, and he prays for believers, and he says this, Sanctify them, grow them up spiritually. Sanctify them with the truth. Your word is what? Is truth. God uses the means of his word to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus, to grow us up spiritually. It's not, oh yeah, we use the Bible to get people in and then, boy, we got to scramble for the latest and greatest. No, the one true, eternal, all-wise, all-knowing God who knows the end and the beginning equally has given us his word with a stamp that says sufficient. And so week in and week out, what I want, if I'm sitting in your seat, what I want for my family, what I want for my own soul is the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, because that's the key not only to me being saved, it's the key to me being spiritually mature. It is pretty bizarre when you stop and ask the question, why do we preach the Bible? Yet again, here we go. The guy doesn't even seem to try to be creative. And he's not even funny. Only a few people laugh to make him feel good. He must be depressed because all he does is preach the Bible. I'm kidding. (laughs) Week in and week out, I'm showing up. I'm having my family here because I know that salvation and spiritual growth is tied to the work of God. And he is chosen. He's told us he's chosen to work through the means, the word of God. It's a great thing. It's a safe thing. It's a glorious thing. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving, transforming, doing its work of the soul. Same kind of idea. Spiritual growth is tied to Scripture. 
Let's move on now to number three. A third reason I preach the Bible and because and reason Omaha Bible Church would want to be committed to it would be because God demands it. God demands it. 2 Timothy 4 now. We were in 2 Timothy 3, now 2 Timothy 4. And this is where you bow your head and kneel down because you're about to be addressed in a courtroom setting. Verse 1 says, I charge you, this is Paul at the end of his life to, to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, so they're the witnesses, you're going to be accountable for this, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and by His kingdom. <laughs> that's, that's what you ought to be doing right about now. I got the shakes. This is, this is sobering. This is terrifying. This is stutter time. And then what does he say? Here's the command. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So when it's popular and when it's not popular. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. More about that in a moment. But just for now, please see what it says. Preach the word. Herald the word, the word we know what he means by it because he just talked about it in 3, 15, 16, and 17. He's talking about the all scripture that's inspired by God. And now he says, Timothy, you're a pastor. Preach it. You know that it's sufficient. You know that it comes from God. So you, you know that it's what God used to bring about your salvation. Preach the text. Preach the word. Preach the scripture. It's the divine command. And you say, it's not the divine command, it's the Apostle Paul's command. Read closer, read in context, read with good ethics. He's called an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a divine command because he doesn't speak for himself. God Almighty calls the pastor to preach the word. We as a church family would want to take ownership of this, no doubt. We have. Let's recommit ourselves if necessary preaching the word god commands this god requires of this requires this of us to maybe put it in the negative for sake of contrast it does not say preach about the word preach using the word great platform for me to spring into talking about what i want to talk about and i can get people to cry every time they give more or whatever it might be preach the word not about the word not using the word Preach the word. I can't find any clearer instruction written to pastors and by extension to churches anywhere in the New Testament. Think about it. Last letter Paul writes to a pastor, the last of the letters, last chapter we call it the swan song. You get the idea that what he's going to say is probably pretty close to his soul. You get the idea that what he's about to say is actually important. Maybe the most important as an apostle. Let me leave you with these words. As you stand before God, who is your judge for everything that you do, he says, preach the Bible. Preach the Bible. In season and out of season. When people are clamoring for it. And when they hate you for it. You preach the word. It's a command from God. 
to do anything else. If I can't figure that out as a pastor, by the way, don't trust me with anything else because there isn't a clear statement about what pastors are supposed to do and be. If other pastors here can't figure that out, then don't trust them with anything else. Don't, please don't say, oh, he's a good administrator, but he doesn't preach the word. Oh, I know he doesn't preach the word, but he's a great counselor. I know he doesn't preach the word, but he's really good with people. No, he's a prostitute is what he is. Because his calling before God Almighty is to preach the word. We've got to remember that. We have to remember that. It's what saves. Why would we want him to do anything else? It's what sanctifies. Why would we want him to do anything else? Why would we want to do anything else? Well, there's probably reasons, but they're not great reasons. Maybe just a couple more observations about this uh, that I found to be helpful. Still in the same passage, preach the word. That tells us something about the style involved. Preach the word. It doesn't say, again, about the word, using the word. Preach the word. Preach the text. That's something about style. That compels me to be an expository preacher. I don't think it's just one of many options. Do also notice that, that he uses the word for herald. Preach the Bible. I feel the cultural pressure to, to share. That's a lot nicer. And who are you to preach at me anyway? Culturally, preaching is bad. He's just preaching at us, raising his voice, speaking with authority. What would be a lot better is if, you know, we just did that. Let's just sit here. And, oh, this is going to break. I don't want to do that. And let's just have a dialogue. And let's just sit around and share our feelings. And how did that verse feel to you? And, and did it become the word of God to you there? And oh, isn't that nice? And we giggle because it's the total trend. And I feel the pressure. Instead, he uses the word preach. That is to speak with authority. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Oh, yes, with great patience, we'll get to that. But do notice, preaching is heralding. The authority doesn't come from me. I have zero authority other than the word of God's authority. But the authority comes from God, and you're heralding his message. This is how it was in the first century, as it's been in lots of other centuries. What's the role of the herald? The herald trots into town on his horse or whatever it happens to be. And the herald shows up and says, I've got some sharing to share with you. And I would like to see if you all like this. Does it settle well with you? No. The, the herald shows up and you know, doo, 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 that kind of deal. Or better. Or worse, if it's the old lamb horn, and the shafar. Anyway, it shows up and says, I have a message from God, God Almighty, who made you and to whom you're accountable. Listen. Right? And the great side of it all this too is that sounds rather negative and there are negative examples of that. But this is the, and, and, and I come bearing good news for all people. But we should learn something about what we would expect as a church about preaching and in preaching and it should sound like preaching. There's something else to notice here and that has something to do with the the vibe or the tone, which overlaps with the first. Do notice it does say reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. I guess what I wanted to note there is the negative and positive side. There's a negative side. Reprove, rebuke. <laughs> That's negative. I, here I'm telling you, stop believing that false doctrine. 
Here I'm telling you, stop living an ungodly life. I'm reproving and rebuking. That's negative. And then we, we warm it up a little bit with uh, exhort. That's, that's, and here's what you should believe. And, and here's what you should do. That's positive. It still rubs us the wrong way because who are you to tell me? But it's positive. And, and then it says, with complete patience and teaching. There's the positive side. So as a preacher, I, I think that if I'm going to have biblical preaching, there needs to be a negative emphasis or emphasis. Um, and there needs to be a positive emphasis. And both are true in biblical preaching. Why preach the Bible? Because God commands it. And he does say a thing or two about even how it's done. Let's move on now to number four, a fourth reason for preaching the Bible as a church. That would be, we'll just do this one quickly, to model sound interpretation. To model sound interpretation. Don't have a specific text for this. Um, I'll allude to one, I guess, but we'll just keep it moving. I'm so thankful for the preachers God has put in my life who have modeled sound interpretation paying attention to context, paying attention to culture, paying attention to history, paying attention to grammar, paying attention to syntax, paying attention to the context of the whole, and just modeling that for me. So when I go home and I read my Bible, I'm paying attention to those kinds of things. I'm so grateful for that. Not grateful enough, but, but so grateful for that. And it's not that they've had to give me some secret, key, hidden meaning and I can't understand it without them. They've just been taking the Bible as literature, which it is, different forms of literature, paying attention to that too, and modeling that for me. It's been one of the most impactful things in my whole life. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the privilege of being able to preach the Bible week in and week out and hopefully modeling some sanity. I, I love... I love to think that you can go home and read Hebrews better than you could when you got here when we were working through Hebrews in our study. Just reading it, pointing out some obvious things, working our way through it, and you heard the sermon, and one of my major goals is you can go home and read it, not because I gave you some secret, but just clear-headedness, sobriety, and you say, that makes sense. makes total sense. I love Jesus Christ more because it makes more sense to me. That's a great privilege. And by the way, whether you have a preaching ministry, a capital P, or you have a ministry to your children, lowercase p, or whatever it might be, as you work through passages, you're modeling good interpretation or bad interpretation for them. Obviously, we want to model the good kind, paying attention to things. It's a great privilege. Let's move on to another one. Uh, Yeah, the only thing I wanted to say about that is we could look at examples of of Jesus talking about the Scripture and modeling good interpretation for us. Um, We're not going to do that for the sake of time this morning. Number five, uh, we would want to preach the Bible to model sound application, to model sound application. There's definitely uh, an application emphasis in the Bible when you have preached the Word, 2 Timothy 4, 2, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Those are application words, so there's a place for application. Uh, 3.16 tells us it's all profitable, And so if it's all profitable, that means it's somehow all applicable. But wow, there's a danger zone there. Because not all of the Bible is equally applicable, surely. 
it's all applicable, but how do we do that? How do I apply everything in the Bible when it's not all directed directly to me? Well, that's something that gifted teachers can help me with and can help you with. And when we hear biblical preaching, it ends up being modeled for us. Here's a case in point. If we're going to preach through the book of Matthew, well, a lot of crazy things are done with the book of Matthew. It's all applicable, true, 2 Timothy 3.16. But before you know it, you're going through Matthew, and, and here we have Jesus again showing us more life principles for potty training. And here we have Jesus yet again showing us more life principles for this. And here we have Jesus doing more life principles for this. And I'm not saying there aren't any life principles. I think there are. But what a good Bible teacher is going to do is pay attention to the whole and the context and say, remember chapter 1, we learn what this is in our Bibles for. We learn why Jesus came, and it's not about the life principles. Chapter 1 tells us he came to save his people from their what? From their sins. And now all of a sudden the narrative starts and it unpacks. And the whole story ends up being about that ultimately. That Jesus is a great savior. And so in one sense every week, week in and week out, it's beating the same drum. Hey folks, isn't Jesus a great savior? Isn't it great to be able to go to sleep tonight knowing that you're not under the wrath of God? Isn't it an amazing reality to know that you have the hope of eternal life? Isn't it amazing to know that He, because of what He's done, will, will give you one day when you're glorified a perfectly restored new body that doesn't hurt anymore? Worship Him. And along the way, there might be some principles. But we don't want to get it turned around. You get to model that for people. I'm so grateful for people who've modeled that for me. And I would want Omaha Bible Church to keep modeling that sort of thing so we have good ethics in our application and we're able to think clearly about how the Bible should be read. You with me? That's like 2%. Send out resumes tomorrow. Number six, let's preach the Bible and commit to preaching the Bible as a church because others don't. Because others don't. And we're going to see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But maybe to lead us to 2 Timothy chapter 4, isn't it interesting to think in the providence of God that Omaha Bible Church wouldn't exist if it weren't for at least, I'll be nice and politically correct, at least a perceived need some 20 years ago where people are saying, we want a church that's committed to expository preaching where the Word of God is heralded with authority. Oh, yes, there's humility because you're doing what God says. <laughs> True humility, not false humility saying we can't know what to do. That's called pride. True humility that says God tells us this in his word and he says preach it. We have a desire for this. We're looking for this. Believing in the sufficiency of Christ and the sufficiency of his word. And before you know it, there's a definite need. I'm committed to preaching the Bible. I think Omaha Bible Church is committed to preaching the Bible because others don't. It's not the only reason. But there was a need. Not to suggest it's the only good church. Not in a million years. There's a real need. That motivates me. 
I want to be like, and I want to have a church filled with people, quite frankly, like Ezra, who is described this way in Ezra 7.10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Pretty straightforward, kind of an Old Testament version of Paul to Timothy. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to seek to apply to my life so as to not be a complete, complete hypocrite. And I'm going to proclaim it to other people. How about 2 Timothy three, uh, 4 again? You don't want to miss this. This is helpful. It helps us to understand this. 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time. Remember, he just said, preach the word. You're going to stand before God. It's going to be scary, right? For the time is coming. It's an, the, the Greek word that he uses is for a general time, a season. And seasons come and seasons go. For the season is coming. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Literally, it's healthy teaching. And what's so interesting is when he says people there, you know, sometimes we run with that and we're like, yeah, there's a lot of compromise going on in our culture and in our world and the United States of America. This must be talking about the left. <laughs> and you listen to too much Rush Limbaugh. Anyway, that's called the Rush Limbaugh hermeneutic, and I'm trying to get rid of that. But anyway... <laughs> People here, Paul's writing to Timothy, and Timothy's a what? He's a pastor. Context would have us to know the people are the people in the church. Oh, let's have that in mind. For the time is coming when people, no doubt it's church people, he's telling Timothy how to, how to lead in the church, will not endure, will not put up with sound or healthy teaching, what they, what they, what they need, but having itching ears. They will accumulate, literally they will heap up, they will amass, they'll make giant piles for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, their own epithumia, their own lusts. Strong desires, verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How about that? They'll want their ears tickled. They'll be itching. And it's kind of interesting. The demand, no doubt, creates the supply. It's the people in the church that say, enough already. We are going to find somebody who, oh, yeah, who will treat us like we treat our little puppies. You're a good little dog. Nice puppy. I like you. <laughs> and so starts the pastoral search committee. We don't like the other guy who boxed our ears. You know what? He had a Jeremiah complex. In Jeremiah, the word of God is like a hammer. And it crashes and it smashes. We don't like that guy at all. Let's get rid of him and let's get somebody who does this. You're all such good little people. God loves you because you're lovely. Isn't that special? Instead of we're sinners under the wrath of Almighty God, it's clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And quite frankly, you're in a lot of trouble. And even the good that you do, Isaiah the prophet says, is like filthy rags that are offensive to God. In the New Testament, the apostle of love says, no one does good, no, not one. But thanks be to God that there's someone who intervened on our behalf because God did love us when we were his enemies, not deserving, and he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into this world to do everything right because we've done everything wrong. 
And then to give himself, even though he's perfect, to give himself to be crucified on a cross to absorb the wrath of God Almighty on our behalf so that we can have our sins atoned for and we can have his righteousness and then we can be reconciled to God based upon no good in us but all that he's done. Hallelujah. And Christians say, yeah, this is awesome. And confused Christians or wolves in sheep's clothing say, I like that guy better. My ears kind of need some tickling. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you're standing before God Almighty when I tell you this. Preach the word. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for a season will come when they the people in your congregation, Timothy, will not put up with sound or healthy doctrine. It's what they need, but they're not going to put up with it. And instead, they're going to amass a pile of resumes. My interpretive translation. Heaping up for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. It's a whole big stack of them. Pretty wild. Pretty real. And so I say we pray the prayer and recommit ourselves to Jesus <laughs> preaching the Bible because others don't and it's hard when others don't because you feel the pressure to do what others are doing I certainly feel that pressure number what are we on I'm just having too much fun with this number seven to encourage other pastors let's commit as Omaha Bible Church yet again for another season to preach the Bible not our own philosophies, to encourage other pastors. I don't have specific text for you on this one, but what I do have... Oh, and by the way, let's expand that to encourage other churches. And we do have biblical precedent for that. One church over here encouraging another church over here. That would have biblical precedent. And I want you to stop and think about churches or, and or pastors that you've known in your Christian life who have been faithful to preaching the Word of God and I want you to sense some of the encouragement that you receive from that. Most of you can probably think of churches like that or pastors like that. Faithful, maybe a big church, maybe a small church nobody knows about, but week in and week out, it's opening up the book saying, hear now the word of the Lord. And then proclaiming God's word, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with great patience and instruction. I am so glad for those kinds of examples. And it's so heartbreaking when that was going on and then it isn't going on anymore. Which causes me to even be more thankful for where it does go. Wouldn't it be great if you in your life and you in your role at Omaha Bible Church could have that kind of impact in somebody else's life? I want to die before it becomes something else. I ran into someone last week at a conference, uh, a gentleman who was older than I am. And we were, he was a friend of a friend, and he was from somewhere, from somewhere in Texas and had a name tag on. He said, oh, you're, you're Pat Abendroth. I said, yeah. Got a name tag, I know. <laughs> He was just a nice gentleman. and He said, oh, 
I've listened to a lot of your sermons before. You're a lot younger than I thought you were. <laughs> and I said, yeah, and I have a face for radio, don't I? <laughs> he just said, I'm just really encouraged just by week in, week out. And, um, and that, I guess, could be self-aggrandizing, and I'll stand before God whether or not I'm tooting my own horn now. I know that I don't do what I do by myself. I do what I do by large measure because I'm part of Omaha Bible Church. There, by extension, is a ministry of Omaha Bible Church to a pastor in Texas being encouraged that yet another week, what did they do at Omaha Bible Church? Somebody opened up the book, stood up in front, read the text, explained the text, exhorted with the text. It's good. It's good. I think about like James Montgomery Boyce, pastored the famous 10th Presbyterian Church in downtown Philadelphia. He just died faithful. Not real flashy. Just week in and week out, just died that way. Esselus Johnson, not very flashy. Week in, week out in Dallas, died that way. I want to die that way. Quite frankly, I want you to die that way. It encourages other people. We don't want to be like the church of Laodicea, doing the opposite. Well, let's move on now. That was number seven. Number eight, this one's personal. This one I just have to say for myself. I preach the Bible, let's put it that way, because I don't think I could get away with anything else at Omaha Bible Church. And that is a benediction to you. That is, that is just a, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful that there are enough people here who, who are like First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants. And by the way, that's, that's not describing a spiritual baby. That's describing a mature person. Like newborn infants, they long for the pure spiritual milk that by it they may grow up into salvation. I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful that I'm accountable to God, yes, but I'm accountable to you. I'm thankful that our other pastors are as well. There's this yearning and there's this desire. Feed me. Don't give me jokes and don't give me antics. Give me the word of God. It's my life. It is awesome. It really is awesome. I was talking. I was uh, at a preaching class this past week with some of the men of the church, and uh, they're really godly because the class starts at six. <laughs> you know, I'm still tired because of it. Anyway, <laughs> but one of the things I told those men was, I said it's really hard to teach the Bible and to preach at Omaha Bible Church, and it's really wonderful. It's really hard because a lot of people know a lot. And you can't just be a smooth, good speaker and get by with it. A lot of people know a lot. You know, the little old lady with the cane is going to school you on the way you describe the Trinity. No, I'm just kidding. I'm grateful for that, and I, told, I expressed that to those men. It's a great training ground for, for being a preacher and being a teacher because there's a lot of people who love Christ and long for his word, and so it causes them to study, and they're going to help you. They're not here to hurt you. So the bad news is it's hard. The good news is they'll love you and consider your best interest in growth and they will want to help you. That's a great, great affirmation regarding you. Uh, and praise be to God for that. And finally, let's do this. Number nine. Omaha Bible Church should commit itself yet again to preaching the Bible because the Bible is about Christ and therefore it's the Christian thing to do. 
We should commit ourselves to preaching the Bible because the Bible is about Christ and therefore it is the Christian thing to do. If we want to act like Christians, we're going to preach the Bible because the Bible is about Christ. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see Jesus talking about the Old Testament and he says it's about me. And so whether we're preaching the Old or the New, it's about Christ and that's the Christian thing to do. So let's do that. See how that works? John 5, 46 would just be one good text, and we'll end on this. Jesus says, For if you believed Moses, so now he's looking to the Old Testament, you would believe me, for he, Moses, wrote of me. And if the Old Testament is about Christ, I don't think I need to do a lot of convincing that the New Testament is about Christ. And so we're going to preach the Bible, because the Bible's about Christ, and we're Christians. We want to act like Christians and give him glory and honor and praise. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for a time like this together where we're able to do something a little bit different. We're grateful for the believers who are around the world who are committed to these things. We know they're committed not because they're special or because they're smarter or better. We know that they're committed because of a sovereign work of grace in their life. And we're grateful for that sort of thing in our own life as a church. Uh, We're grateful that we can stand in a long line of godly men and women who have sought to praise and glorify Christ and certainly who have been part of churches who have sought to have the word of God proclaimed. It is our very life. and We find our life in your great son, Jesus, who has been revealed to us as the word of God. Encourage us as we go. Encourage us to speak clearly and to speak well of you and to have a longing for the pure milk of your word as it helps us to grow in respect to our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.